0: Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Pastor Larry Davis. All right, so uh, we are in chapter 20 of the story. This is the book we've been using. It's a narrative uh, timeline through the entire Bible. Uh, and this week is on Esther. And um, we, have, we started the story 29 weeks ago. And uh, next week will be the last chapter in the Old Testament. So those of you guys who made it, congratulations. Jesus is coming. Uh, he'll be here in two weeks. So hallelujah, praise God. Yeah, Jesus is coming. <laughs> um, so uh, the book of Esther is uh, really a fascinating book in the Bible. Uh, Christian preachers have treated the, the, the Bible book in Esther like, tra- like cats treat water and like uh, Superman treats, treats kryptonites. Um, it's not very commonly um, preached on. In fact, there were zero commentaries on the book of Esther in the first seven centuries of the, of Christian, of the Christian church. Um, I'll even tell you guys, uh, through some uh, super extensive research, you guys uh, are actually going to hear for the first time, in the 24 and a half, uh, 23 and a half years that Northgate has been around, uh, it has never been preached on. So you guys are going to get a first. Hashtag first time for everything. Hashtag, uh, this is really happening today. (laughs) Tweet that. (laughs) The book of Esther never mentions God. What? The book of Esther never mentions God, prayer. There's no miracles that happen. The book is never even mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. It's as if God was on vacation during the time of Esther. The hero of the book is a young Jewish woman, who hides her identity. And she's not just anyone, but she's an orphan girl who grew up to be so beautiful that the great King Xerxes chooses her as the winner of Persia's version of The Bachelor. This is the great King Xerxes that many of you guys may be more familiar with nowadays uh, because of movies like 300. Uh, with the Spartans or uh, with, uh, uh, if you're a gamer, Assassin's Creed 2. I see a lot of gamers in the room today, so just wanted to highlight Xerxes in there. Uh, This is Xerxes, uh, who is the king uh, of this gigantic empire. Despite all of this, Esther is instrumental in saving the Jews from a certain genocide, a Hitler-like or even today's day and age, an isis like situation and succeeds in having all of her enemies then destroyed in a bloodbath. It's not exactly the type of story that you tell at bedtime with your children. Uh, in fact, VeggieTales has uh, done a story with it and they don't explain it in as much detail when uh, the Jews, uh, when they talk about the genocide for the Jews at that time. They're going to be sent off to the island of never-ending tickling is their version of the story, uh, but it's much more graphic than yet, than that. Yet, isn't this what life is like most of the time? Doesn't it seem as if God is absent in evil abounds? Don't good things still happen despite impure motives? Don't God's plans move forward despite us? Perhaps this ancient story of Esther is more timely than ever. Through this story, we see life as we know it. God's perfect work through imperfect people. In the end, the saving of the Jews is not about the providence, excuse me, is the saving of the Jews is not about the virtue of the individuals in Esther, but completely about the providence of God and his ability to accomplish his will no matter the imperfectness of people. God is ultimately the hero in Esther. And though it's not seen at first glance, those this morning that look with faith, will find him silhouetted throughout the entire story. The book of Esther, uh, I could stand up here and just read it to you. I encourage you guys to read it out of the story. It's a short, it's uh, a fantastic narrative. Uh, some of you, I've heard so many people this weekend tell me that Esther's their favorite uh, story, and my first question is why? And uh, it's because it's, it's fascinating. It's a, it's a fantastic narrative, and it's like the things you dream of, or you watch, in movies. And so, uh, uh, if you'll bear with me, I want to tell you the story of Esther, and I'm going uh, to talk about five main characters of the story, Esther, using some playing cards for you to follow along. So, it starts first, the book starts with King Xerxes that I spoke of. Um, he's over the Persian Empire. The Persian Empire at that time expands from modern day Ethiopia up to Libya, all the way over to India. Uh, all uh, all in that huge area, 50 million people are a part of the Persian empire, the greatest empire at that time. And uh, King Xerxes has now been in power. His grandfather was there 70 years early. Earlier, we heard last week um, that uh, they had released uh, some of the Jews to go up back up to Jerusalem and begin to rebuild. But many of them are still uh, through the exile scattered about the Persian empire at that time. And King Xerxes wants to be bigger, badder, bolder, and really just rule the roost, everything. And so he brings together people, uh, many generals, just his council for uh, a summit, if you will, uh, for a six-month war planning meeting where they're going to plan how they're going to go in and they're going to take out the Greeks. They're going to go in and take the rest of it, which if you guys know history, then becomes the, Empire, the Greek Empire, then on the Romans. Uh, but right now, the Persians rule the roost. And there's a 180-day planning summit meeting about this. Well, at the end of this, um, Xerxes, the great king Xerxes, decides, I'm going to throw a gigantic party now in pre-celebration of how we're going to go conquer the rest of this and take it over. And it is a, a bender. It is like... To the wall, it's craziness. It's twenty four seven. It's the best of the best. I mean, it's the best kegger you have ever been to, and it's free, and it's fantastic. It's everything that shouldn't happen happens uh, because they're just going buck wild. When we get to the end of this seven day uh, party, and the king, in his hangover already, drunken stupor, says, "Hey, I want to show off my queen," and so we are introduced then to Queen Vashti. And he sends off some of his uh, people to say, bring in Queen Vashti wearing the royal crown. I want to show her off to everyone. And so uh, many uh, Bible theologians uh, believe that he was saying, bring her in wearing only the royal crown so we can show her off uh, to all of his friends. And she hears this and being the strong woman that she is, she says, "Uh uh-uh, I ain't going to come in there and parade myself in front of your drunken friends. Uh, This isn't funny. I'm not doing it. Well... Uh, the king uh, hears this and kind of doesn't know what to do. He's like, oh my gosh, this isn't good. She said, no, she didn't listen to me. This is in front of all my friends. It's a bit embarrassing. And so he talks to his buddies and says, what do we do? She disobeyed a command. And he says, they go, well, we can't have this happen. I mean, you never know what's going to happen. Women will start burning their bras. They'll start asking for raises. They're going to want rights to vote. This is crazy. It needs to end now. So he says, ah, you're right. We need to stop this before it starts." And so. Queen Vashti was banished from the kingdom. Uh, he, he put her off. He took away um, her royalty, and she was never allowed to enter and be around again. Well, King Xerxes goes off then to war, and this is, like I said, that period of time where you, you have the great battle of the 300, and then later on Persia loses 300 warships to the Greeks uh, in, the, in the bay there. There's movies, there's many, uh, you guys follow history or world history, you guys know many of those great battles and stories he then is conquered by Alexander the Great. This is where we're introduced into that over these time periods, and he comes back and he is angry, as you would think. Uh, he's just lost what he thought he was going to win. This was the greatest empire in on a slowly down, downturn. And um, he comes back and he begins to realize that he's missing something. He begins to miss Queen Vashti. And uh, he begins to think about the decree he made against her and realizes that you don't usually make good decisions when you're hung over and you've had a little too much to drink. So he begins to want that relationship again. His harem isn't Uh, cutting it for him. And so his friends uh, see this, uh, those in council with him see this and says, we need to help the the king out. Um, Let's make a beauty contest and we'll get 25 million women and we'll present them to you and you get to pick the new queen. And he says, that sounds fantastic. Let's do it. And they say, can we be the judge? We want to be a part of this. So they begin the process of looking for a new queen. Well, I'm going to introduce you to a new character, the Ace of Spades. This is going to be represented uh, by Mordecai. Mordecai is a Jew. He's, um, he hasn't gone back into Jerusalem. Like I said, there's uh, many that have still been spread around through the exile and through King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon as they're all kind of scattered about. And Mordecai um, has a younger uh, cousin uh, who is Esther, Uh, Esther is an orphaned girl. Her family has died at a young age. She doesn't have a mother and a father. And so Mordecai becomes her guardian. He becomes a father figure in her life. He takes care of her. Um, And so he's looking after her. He's 15 years older than her. And um, uh, they hear about this beauty contest, and it happens to be around that she was about the right age for that. And it says in Esther 2.7 that she had geth, gifts. It said that in the Bible, it says she had a lovely figure and was beautiful. So Queen Esther, or excuse me, Esther, made herself into the beauty contest, and she made it into the finals of The Bachelor ready to see if she's going to get the final rose. And then goes through a 12-month process um, to be presented to the king. 12 months they spent getting her ready and getting all these women ready to go before the king. Can you imagine? You guys think you're waiting a while for your lady right now? A year. Like, come on, babe, hurry up. It's going to be February. February. By the time you're done, okay, I guess, uh, 12 months of preparation. I can't imagine what they were doing, how they were getting ready. I mean, I don't even, I don't, I can't even imagine. Um, so 12 uh, months go by, a year goes by, and now it's time for her turn to go in front of the King Xerxes, the great King Xerxes. He lays eyes on her, and he is smitten. This is the one. He goes, bananas. Yep, winner, winner, chicken dinner. You get the final roast this is it. And he crowns her the queen. He makes her his queen. He has a huge banquet and a, a feast, a celebration. He says, remember this day. We're going to celebrate this day each year. And at the same time, he doesn't have any idea that she is Jewish. Uh, from a young age, Mordecai, as uh, she was growing up, told her, don't tell anyone who you are or where you've come from. And so now he uh, does not know that she's Jewish. Well, when this happens and Esther makes it into the royal courts and uh, now is living there in the palace, Mordecai wanted to make himself accessible and closer to, to know and see what's going on. And so he stayed outside, a lot of, spent a lot of time outside of the city gates. Well, One day as he's spending time outside of the city gates, he overhears a plot to kill the king Xerxes from some guards there. He hears about this plot, and he sends word to Esther and says, hey, there's this plot to kill King Xerxes. You need to let someone know. Well, sure enough, they start looking into it. They do some investigation. They realize that this is true. They uh, cut some heads off. They impale them on poles so everyone can see. And the plan to kill King Xerxes is thwarted uh, by Mordecai. Uh, It doesn't say that they did anything for him at that time. They wrote his name down in the king's chronicles and the log of the history of what had happened. uh, I'm not even sure it made its way up to the king. They just investigated it, saw that it was really going to happen and took care of it, maybe gave him a high five and said, we'll figure this out later and moved on from that. So hang on to that piece of the story because this becomes very important. Later, They did nothing for him, um, but this is what happened and what he was a part of. So I want to introduce you to a new character at the time. Uh, The king now uh, is saying, hey, I need some help. And so he said, I needed an administrator. And uh, ends up taking on a guy and placing a guy named Haman, who's represented by the Joker, uh, into uh, top royalty with him there. Now, this isn't the Joker like, ha-ha, funny Joker. This is like the sick, twisted, sadistic Batman type of Joker If you're following what I'm saying, it's a bad person, bad guy, um, full of himself. Uh, Specifically, he hates the Jews. He's like a then-day Hitler type of person. He's full of himself. Um, And now he's in this position uh, there with the king and says, hey, I'm so full of myself. I'm the man so much. Uh, I think that anytime I travel around and go anywhere, everyone should be bowing to me. That sounds like a fantastic idea. So it gets put into place. That any time Haman comes through riding on his horse or wherever he's at, that people would stop what they're doing and they would bow down to him. Well, uh, one day as this was happening, uh, Haman was uh, moving on throughout, passing outside the city gates. And um, everyone was bowing down except for one person. That one person was Mordecai. And so Haman burned with anger about this. You don't bow down to me. And he knew that he was a Jew. And so he decided, I need to kill this guy. But I'm not just going to kill this guy. I'm going to kill everyone and anyone he knows. I want to get rid of all Jews. And so there's going to be a gigantic genocide. And so he decides and comes up with a plan to go to the king and says, Hey, king, I have this idea. I would like to pay you to put into motion this decree that on a certain day of the year, it's a free-for-all and everyone can kill every Jew and any Jew around. And so the cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs king at the time says, that sounds like a great idea. Sure, go ahead. And you don't even have to pay me. Just do it. So that's exactly what he does. Him and his buddies get together. They cast lots, which is throwing some dice to see what day this is going to happen. It's about April when they did this. And it lands on March 7th. So they have about a year later, there shall be the killing, slaughtering, and annihilation of every man, woman, and child, Jewish person, uh, around. And so they uh, begin to send this decree out uh, in, the, in the local newspaper and the national news. It wakes its way all the way out in the furthest uh, parts of the Persian Empire and even into Jerusalem, who was uh, under the Persian uh, Empire at the time that every Jew on this day, March 7th, should be killed, uh, and it's a free-for-all, and not just killed, but then slaughtered and annihilated. It was gonna be completely done. So the Jews begin to weep and to cry and to mourn. Mordecai, it tells us, then is at the city gates. He's torn off his clothes. He's now wearing sackcloth and ash, which represents mourning that he was in because their their time is coming to an end. Some of us uh, in our lives look around saying, what's happened, God? You said that you're you're with me. You're never going to leave me, that you're always going to be with me and you're going to take care of me. And now it looks like a time is coming where everything's going to be done, and it's going to be over. May I remind you that in Hebrews 13:5 it says, "God will never leave you. He will never forsake you." But they didn't understand what was happening in this moment. So Mordecai sends word to his cousin Esther. She could see that he was in great pain from a distance and said, what's going on? And so he sent word to say, hey, on this day, there's been a decree that's made on March 7th. It's the end of us. Every Jew is going to be killed. We're going to be slaughtered. This is a gigantic genocide. You have to go tell the king. Please go speak with and talk with the great King Xerxes. And so her response was, I can't. Uh, I can't because anyone who goes into his courts that hasn't been summoned uh, will be killed. People die for just going and talking to him. And in fact, uh, we're maybe, this is about five years into their marriage now. In fact, we're in like maybe a little tiff right now. We haven't even seen each other in 30 days. He hasn't called me in 30 days. Uh, I don't know what's going on at that time and those moments, but he's saying, hey, I haven't even had contact with the king. I can't. And if I just did, I went and talked to him, I'm going to die. I'm going to be killed. And so he sent back this answer to her. I'm going to read it to you out of the story, page 282 or the book of Esther 4:13 4, through 14. He sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. Hey, don't think that just because you're in there, you're going to get a get out of jail free card. We're all going down. Eventually, they're going to figure out who you are, and you're going to go down too. But something's going to happen in the future uh, if you don't do anything now. But for right now, you're not going to live to see it. And then he follows up with this extremely powerful line. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. I don't think that she was expecting to hear that. I don't think that she was ge- expecting to be reminded that she was a young orphan girl that was chosen out of 25 million women at that time to be that certain age to become the first lady. He says, hey, there's no guarantees. And that's what she's saying. There's no guarantees. If I go in there, I'm most likely gonna get killed. That's not a good scenario or uh, for me to walk in. The statistics are not on my side. But he's challenging saying, but who knows right now, be brave, that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. A pastor in Southern California named Erwin McManus, uh, I'm going to quote him, says this, if you wait for guarantees, the only thing you'll be guaranteed is that you'll miss endless divine opportunity. We all want miracles and then spend our lives avoiding the context in which miracles happen for such a time as this. Wherever you're at, could such a time be this in your life? Whatever circumstances you may be in, whatever has brought you to that place, for such a time as this. If, if you have children in this generation, young children that you're able to influence, for such a time as this, to be bold and courageous and having open and real conversation with young people that are around you for such a time as this. For those of you that are leaders in your workplace, for such a time as this for you to stand up for what is right. For all of us here, there's a building project that's going on. There's gonna be a building there. Whether or not we're here for it or not, it will happen at some point. But could you be here in a part of this faith community for such a time as this? So in the future, many, many, many more will learn and know who Jesus is and what this is all about for such a time as this. This was a huge challenge to Queen Esther, and so she, she responded back to them and said, gather everyone around you that, you that you have there, Mordecai, and fast for three days, day and night. I'm going to do the same in here, and everyone who's in, in my party and who's taking care of me, we'll all do the same. We're going to fast for three days, day and night. And then she responds with this. When this is done... I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, I perish. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though this is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. What a powerful statement. What a courageous and bold and brave move. Uh, I have a fill in there. Uh, It's going to be on the screen. It's in your... Your bulletins there. I challenge you to do this. The question is in this in the same context, if blank then blank. If insert your worst fear. Maybe it's your worst fear, maybe it's a common fear, maybe it's a fear that you have right now in life. If this happens, if blank happens, this fear then blank. Many of you guys can think of an answer right now. You can write it down. There might be lots of different if blanks then blanks. If this fear happens, if this worst thing happens today or right now or continues to happen in my life, then disaster. Then it's over, then I don't even know where I'm gonna be and what I'm gonna do. That's that's Satan working in our lives that wants to continue to speak into our minds. If if blank, then it's over. But I challenge all of us this week and today that if blank if this fear, if the worst, then God. If, ah, uh, blank, then God. If this is the worst, if this happens right now, then the worst thing that can happen is God. If I perish, I perish. If, then, God. If this worst thing happens in my life, the worst thing that's going to happen is God is in control. And God's got it. It says in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 9, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not ashamed, struck down, but not Destroyed. So the queen, Esther, becomes brave and decides that this is the moment. And she goes in to the king's courts. She has not been summoned, invited into there. And uh, I can't imagine this trembling moment as then she lays her eyes. And the eyes are laid upon her from the king, the great king Xerxes. And she's greeted in favor. Ha, my Esther, what do you want from me? What can I give to you? I'll give you anything. Up to half of the kingdom, it is yours. And she says, great king, if you care about me and you know me, I would like to invite you to dinner, to a banquet. And I would like you to come, and I would like your second in command come, Haman, with you tonight. Dinner it is, my queen, if that's what you ask me. I'm there tonight. We'll eat well. So they go to dinner. Haman is like super jazzed up. He's like, What? I just got invited. I am the man uh, because I just got invited to have dinner with just the king and the queen. This is what's up. I'm what's up. This is great. So they're having a fine, fantastic evening. And towards the end of the night, it comes up again. The king then asks his queen, Queen Esther, what is it you want from me? What can I give to you? What do you need help with? Up to half of the kingdom, I'll give it. It'll be yours. So she's ready. This is her moment to be brave and to stand up. And she says, tomorrow night, I would like to have you over for dinner. (laughs) Both of you again. This has been so wonderful. (laughs) Sounds fantastic, queen. Tomorrow night it is. I'll come to dinner. We're doing dinner again tomorrow night. So they go on their way and The king goes home uh, for the evening, and Haman is on his way home. He's on cloud nine because he's singing that I'm the man, I'm the man song, you know, with the headphones and everything, riding his horse, like, what's up? And uh, he's making his way there. He's like, man, on cloud nine. And then he passes by Mordecai, and Mordecai doesn't bow down to him. Headphones go right down to the ground. He is upset and wants to rip his face off so mad. He's like, I'm the man, and you're not even showing me that I'm the man. And so he goes home so furious, he tells his family and his friends, this Mordecai guy has got me up to here. And they're like, you should just, you need to go, you're the man, go talk to the king and just have him killed. And they're like, even better, build a giant stick outside your house and we'll put his head on it. Just tell the king, he'll, he'll do it. And he's like, that's a fantastic idea. Let's build a big old tall stick and we're going to impale his head on it. In the morning, I'm going to go there and see him. He sleeps great that evening, right? Everything's fixed. I know what I'm going to do. I'm the man, and I got a big stick outside of my head for that Mordecai guy because I'm done with him. Well, on the other side, uh, King Xerxes is unable to sleep, insomnia. He's having one of those tossy turny nights. And so what most people do when they get tossy and tourney, um, they ask someone to come and read world history to them uh, to put them right to sleep. So he calls in to his servants and says, bring in the chronicles and uh, read to me. I cannot sleep. And so they happen to open up uh, to four years earlier and they begin to read about the story of this guy named Mordecai that thwarted the plot to kill the king. And he's like, that's fantastic. Did we ever do anything for that Mordecai guy? And they're like, well, it doesn't look like it here. It just says that he did this. It doesn't look like we've done anything yet. Well, we need to do something for that guy. So then he goes to sleep. The next morning, Haman's rolling in with his plan. He's got his big stick built. He's ready to tell the king. And the king sees him and says, "Ah, just the guy I was looking for. I have a question for you, Haman. If the king really wants to honor someone in his kingdom, what should he do for him? Well, Haman says, that's a fantastic question because he's probably talking about me. (laughs) Well, let me tell you, King Xerxes. First of all, you need to give him your horse. And he needs to ride on your horse. Then you need to put your royal crest on that horse. Then you should have someone walk him around outside the city gates saying, this guy is the man the king wants to honor. And the king says, that is a really great idea. I like, I'm totally picking up what you're laying down. You need to do that for Mordecai. (laughs) What? I know, right? It gets even better. He's like, well, this just, what? What? So I can't even imagine as he's like walking around this horse thinking, I'm supposed to like kill this guy today. His head's supposed to be on my giant pole. So his day's kind of gone bad. It's been a bad morning. Mordecai's probably laughing it up. And uh, they have dinner that evening still. So he's going to go to dinner. He's going to kind of wash it away. So they go to dinner again, just uh, Haman, the queen, and the king. And they get about through their evening. And the king then looks at her again and says, Queen, what is it that I can do for you? What is it you want from me? Anything up to half the kingdom, it'll be yours. So she begins to get brave. King, I ask that you save my life and you save my people. Now remember, they had no idea she was Jewish. I need you to save my life and save my people because we're going to be slaughtered, killed, and annihilated. What? Who dare would do this to my queen. So she did the (laughs) (laughs) that that guy. (laughs) Haman. Haman's the one that put in the royal decree to kill my people, to kill me, and on March 7th, this genocide's gonna happen. Seething with anger, the king gets up and storms out. Can't even believe that this would happen. Someone would want to kill his queen and that this is gonna happen. And so Mordecai realized that his bad day just got real worse way bad. And so, not Mordecai, uh, Haman. It's bad. And so he like is going, uh, uh uh-oh, this isn't going to be good. Uh, The king's going to do something real bad to me in just one minute. So he hops up, he starts running over to the queen to beg for mercy. and it's way over, he trips on one of those cool Persian rugs. And uh, she's reclining on a couch and falls... Onto the couch, right as the king is walking back, it's totally a movie. Walking back in, and then he's like, What? And you're gonna attack and go after the queen in my presence? That's what happened. So the king's like, What do we do uh, with Haman? And they're like, Well, he, there's this giant stick outside of his house, for reals. So they put his head up on his own stick. How crazy is that? For reals, <laughs> totally like a movie. Right, and then what happens is, is uh, the king gives king, uh, Queen Esther uh, Haman's place, all of his, all of his things, his home, everything there, and makes Mordecai uh, into Haman's place. And when March 7th rolls around, uh, just before that, they say, hey, you still got to save our people. There's this decree that's gone out to the furthest parts of this empire. And so they send down another one that says, you can protect yourself and you're going to fight back. And so on March 7th, there was a gigantic bloodbath and slaughter where the Jews conquered all of their enemies. And uh, they said, hey, we want one more day of this because there's still more people we need to get rid of. And so we want to do an extra day. And so they did two days. They did an extra day. Two, uh, that's where it's not like a good bedtime story because they're like, what happens? And it's like, this is bad. (laughs) And uh, they end up killing, Haman had 10 sons. They killed his whole line. They killed all 10 of his sons. Where's God in the book of Esther? His name's never mentioned. Where's God in the book of Esther? Well, the real hero of the story, the real power behind this story of Esther is never mentioned, but it's God. His hand of providence is manifest in every single tiny detail. His presence is more powerfully and dominantly visible here than maybe any other story of this complexity in Scripture, though he's never mentioned. His providence is at work in filtering 25 million women down to one Jew chosen to be queen. His providence is demonstrated in Mordecai being in the place where he could hear the plot and warn the king, his providence, his power is in super, superintending sovereignty can be seen the night that the king can't sleep and decides to read the royal record. And out of all that can be read to him, it's read to him the story of the unrewarded Mordecai. And even Haman's timing is perfect in the purposes of God. The visible hand of God is evident Everywhere. And the absence of God is here, and I think it's intentional. Intentional. It's an ingenious strategy by the writer to draw the reader to think deeply about how life's circumstances are ordered to the divine purpose. These are not coincidences, there's too many. This is not random, there is a designer there's a coordinator there's power behind all of this god literally thunders through the book of esther there are no miracles in the book of esther but the whole thing is a miracle of divine providence people places time action it's more than miraculous friends there are times in our life there will be times in our life where we're going to look around and that page of our life and say where's god where is God on the pages of this part of the story of my life? And we'll learn that when we're with God, when we seek God, when we walk with God, his blessings are in our life. His providence is divine. He'll never leave us or forsake us. Never leave us or forsake us. Would you bow your heads? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Benicia, California.